church? Hell no. Are you no longer feeling comfortable in church? This podcast is for individuals who are desperately missing God, but don't know how to find Him. Substance abuse, domestic violence, sex offenses, acrimonious divorce can contribute to discomfort in the church. For these individuals, church is just not an option anymore. Ordained minister Dennis Hall and his guests invite you to listen to this podcast for topics that are inspiring, uplifting, and will bring hope to those who just feel church is not relevant in their lives today. I'm Dennis Hall, and I am delighted that you're listening to us today. Uh, We have back as our guest today, Justin Bonner, the assistant pastor at First Baptist Church, Highlands, North Carolina. Welcome to the podcast, Pastor Justin. No, thanks for having me back, Dennis. It's always a a delight to get to be on here with you. Yeah, yeah, it's an exciting time. You know, uh, we've just had an election in the country. Uh, People are talking about it. This is the only thing you can hear, it seems like, on the news, uh, the election results and what's happening in our country politically. Uh, one of the things that grabbed my attention as, the, uh, as we begin to see some analysis come out about the voting, uh, one of the things was, uh, you know, we had an extreme left-wing politician in Pennsylvania by the name of Fetterman uh, who won the uh, election for Senate in Pennsylvania. And the early analysis is, is that there was a big turnout of young voters, under 30 voters, um, uh, and 70% of them voted for this man, Fetterman. And, uh, and so you say, well, what's so important about that? Well, it's an, he's an extreme left-wing uh, ide- uh, politician. And uh, this is not only seen in uh, Pennsylvania, but over in Wisconsin, in the governor's race, you had a similar thing happen where you had a very left-wing uh, man running uh, for governor. And again, 70% of the young people in that state uh, voted for him. And so, in fact, really, all across the country, what we've seen in this election is that the young voters, uh, not all of them, but by a, a significant majority, the young voters voted for candidates who were pro-abortion, you know, pro-transgenderism, pro-LBGTQ, pro-critical race theory, and uh, pro-socialism candidates. The young people, uh, by a significant majority, were voting for candidates who represented those kind of values. Uh, Did that surprise you? Uh, Honestly, no. It just, um, it's really a sign of the times that, People are largely uneducated and they're voting for what they in their own twisted way think is best for themselves. You know, they, they vote in a socialist way because it would enable them in their mind to get a lot of things for free. You know, yeah. that's, that's why you think you think of Bernie Sanders, what his, his biggest running point that he was trying to get the young people with was that college was going to be free. Sure. And, so, and, so it's a lot of times what's what is self-serving is is how young people are voting, and they're definitely not voting with the way that they some of them were raised. Well, right. I, I hope that that's the case, and 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 I want to be clear: not all young people are pursuing those kind of values, but the, we have a generation, it seems, that uh, 
that appears to be comfortable with all of those kinds of things that from a biblical or a Christian point of view seem to be inconsistent with uh, uh, Christian teaching. You know, we're in a climate today where, uh, you know, uh, uh, truth, just absolute truth is an empty concept, uh, even though it's being used as a powerful tool and uh, that any kind of rationality or reasoning about anything is just dismissed, frankly, as a white male kind of concept and that science is dismissed as domineering and oppressive and uh, that it can't be used to discern uh, truth and progress. People call themselves progressives, uh, really, only describes whatever the interest and ideologies of the dominant culture is. And this rejection of rationality seems to have led to things like widespread abortion and uh, same-sex marriages, prostitution, uh, transgenderism, substance abuse, uh, you know, critical race theory, and just an overall erasing of, uh, you know, what I would call mores or morality in our society where anything goes. And that there, for many out there, there literally is no moral compass uh, that exists. So we seem to be in an age where any kind of reasoning or rationality is thrown out uh, as any kind of basis for formation of truth. And so for Christians who are called on to be uh, witnesses for Jesus, this creates a very challenging environment. I agree. And I, I mean, for it to be such a, a large, you know, umbrella topic, I really feel that you can boil it down to two. There are two main issues that I think need to be addressed with individual Christians uh, and in our evangelism is the one that, that we as individual Christians in our daily lives need to to work out and, and figure out for ourselves and make changes in is that there's been studies done over the past few years that are showing that large majorities of Christians have what's known as a, a dualistic worldview. So they see, they would see, you know, yeah. my Christianity and my, my Bible reading and God over here, but then they would see school here and what that does is it causes them to not bring their faith into those realms of life where so as a person-to-person christians we need to begin by bringing those together and having a unified biblical worldview that's something that we've spoken about on here before and that will automatically cause you to that will affect your your voting that will affect your views of society that will affect the way that you interact with people outside. But the, but the evangelism aspect that we need when it comes with dealing with young people in this generation is that this it's rampant postmodernism and agnosticism, you know, postmodernism is a denial that there is any objective truth. Every truth is subjective, you know, truth. They would, they would say truth is in the eye of the beholder. And that's what, agnosticism does is is agnosticism is a belief that i am i might be a christian but dennis 
you can be whatever you want to be. And I have to respect that because that's your truth. And I don't know what the truth is. And that's absolutely rampant among young people. They may claim to be Christians, but they're not going to say that that's the only way. And that causes a snowball effect. You know, uh, I had the opportunity to be involved in some research uh, um, that was aimed at who, who is this generation Z, this, this group under, uh, 30. And there's been a, quite a bit written about them uh, and, and quite a bit of survey material out there. And uh, basically, I described uh, this, what we call Generation Z, the under 30 people out there that played such a role in the election, uh, that they could be arguably called the first post-Christian generation. It, it's, it's clear that they're more irreligious than any previous generation, uh, with many abandoning uh, Christianity or religion entirely, uh, and fewer than half attend church services of any kind. And if this you know, trend continues, obviously Christianity is going to drift to the margins of our culture. And uh, you know they have less belief in God, less value for the importance of religion in their daily life, less frequency in prayer, less uh, belief in absolute standards as you were uh, suggesting and less frequency of scripture reading, less identification with any kind of evangelical Protestant than any other uh, generation group that's gone before them or that exists. And so really the question becomes for, uh, I think, for believers is, you know, how do we communicate God's word to this younger generation of Americans? I mean, these people, to a large degree, think what Christians believe is just uh, uh, not true and unreasonable and amounts to sheer madness. Um, increasing numbers of our population have that view. So how do we communicate God's Word? <laughs> well, that's a simple question, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it should be that easy, right? right? Well, I think an encouragement that I would give to those who have um, children now, because a lot of people would say, I'm a Christian, but I've already let the damage be done to my kids. I've already, they're already gone. They're already out of the house. How do I reach them? But firstly, speaking of where I think a lot of us as Christians went wrong, but also where we can go right with the children. If, if we still have children in our home and it's in Deuteronomy 11, Uh, chapter 19, or Deuteronomy 11, verse 19. He says, you shall teach them to your children. This is the law, the law of God. Shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. You shall write them upon the doorpost of your house and upon your gates, that your days may be multiplied, and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon the earth. Now he's speaking about the land of Canaan and he's speaking to Moses, but that is not an attitude that we've adopted as Christian fathers, that we are instructing our children. So then when we send them into a secular university, we're we're throwing them into the wolves. We're throwing them to the wolves with no training to defend themselves. Before David went out to battle, he said, look, I've already killed lions and bears. This guy's nothing. 
Right. But what do, what do our kids do? They go, I don't know. They don't, they're not being taught about the Bible before we send them off to a secular university, 500 miles from their parents. So we have to start there, but then communicating to them, the truth of the Bible must begin with effective evangelism. We can't take for granted that they grew up as Christians. That's what happened to me. I am Gen Z. I'm 28. I am in that group. Right. Right. So, so I'm, I'm one of the late end ones, but if you look at it, what we, what we do a lot of times is we take for granted that people grew up in church. So what we do is we don't share the gospel with them the same way. It's almost right. like we treat them as backslidden Christians. What we have to do is, is, is share the gospel with them in a truly biblical way. That's where well, we I, have to start. I, I think that's exactly where we have to start. But, dude, I can't um, count how many people that I have counseled uh, who really— in my opinion, raised their children that way and had them in church every time the doors open. They, they, you know, they had uh, Bible reading and prayer in their homes, and they did all those things. And they watched their children go off into a uh, agnostic kind of belief, and were wringing their hands over it. And, and I do think we're in a very challenging, different world today, in many. Uh, uh, respects. You know, a lot of people point to the Apostle Paul as a, an example of how we ought to be communicating the Word. And, you know, over in Acts 16.30, we watch uh, Paul and Silas uh, talk to a jailer, a Philippian jailer, who asked the question, what do I need to do to be saved? And now, now sometimes we get that opportunity, too. And, and in those kind of cases, it's just a matter of us uh, explaining the gospel and telling the gospel story. And then a lot of people point to Acts 17 when we find the Apostle Paul amongst a, a, a bunch of learned uh, philosophers. Uh, and in those days, they had multiple gods. It wasn't a question of them being agnostic. It wasn't a question of being atheistic. They believed in uh, supernatural gods. And Paul seized on the opportunity say, to say, look, don't you have an altar that, to the unknown God? <laughs> well, yes, they did. And so he basically said to him, I think we worship the same God <laughs> and began to tell him about the God uh, that, that he believed in and followed. And so again, you know, Paul was demonstrating, I think sometimes we have to seize the opportunity in somebody's belief to, to, to see how we can match up with their belief system when we're talking to them about God. You know, one of the most fascinating things that happened to me during my graduate studies in, in divinity school was I had a professor who assigned us a project, and the project was that we had, he gave us a, a structured interview, and then we had to go to five atheists and interview them. It was quite an experience because what you had to do was be a listener and understand where they were, what their journey has been, and how they reached this uh, decision. It taught me a lot of things uh, by by that through that project and trying to understand people who are totally, uh, viscerally, almost in a hateful kind of way, opposed to uh, to Christians. Uh, you know, today 
you know, I say to people, you know, Christians are not trusted. Well, one of our challenges is we're not, you know, we're called uh, hate mongers and homophobic, uh, phobics and, and misogynists and every other kind of word you can come up with. And so Christians are being, by this world that we're talking about, uh, there has been this huge distrust of Christians that has uh, been built up in the world. I, I agree completely. And I think that that is one of the problems that the young people nowadays have is that, that trust factor. And part of that is we have to be consistent. You know, we, we have to be a consistent witness of biblical truth. We can't stand on the street corner and hold up signs um, saying we're anti-abortion and then come to find out some Christian pastor has secretly got an abortion for his mistress or, you know, there, there's all kinds of scenarios where we're marring our name by not living a consistent Christian witness, which is leading to people saying, well, Christians just historically don't walk the walk. They talk the talk, but they don't walk the walk. And Jesus promised us in this world, you will have tribulation. He promised us in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of comfort because I have overcome the world. Right. Right. It says, what did Paul say through, through much tribulation, will you enter into the kingdom of God? So we know that we're going to face opposition because we're speaking against the world system. We're speaking against the way that the world wants to act. We're calling them to repentance, but Jesus never gave us a license to live a a double life. He never gave us a license to live a fake life. He calls us to, yes, you will be hated, but you'll be hated and you need to stand for the truth and actually live it. That's where we'll start to, see change is when people can trust that Christians are actually who they claim to be. That's right. the big thing. Well, that's, yeah, that contributes to the, to the, uh, to the, I guess the problem we have to overcome, you know, another way to say it is uh, to build trust there. We have to demonstrate sacrificial love of others, uh, you know, which is a, I think a part of this whole problem that uh, the younger generation has with Christianity. Um, so, you know, in, uh, in his book, The God Who Is There, Francis Schaeffer asked the question, what do we mean when we say a person is lost? You know, we talk about this world around us as sort of a lost world. What do we mean when we say the world is lost? We mean that they're apart from God. Yeah. Right, that they are that they are separate from being in right standing with God. That's what I would mean by that someone is lost. Now, obviously, there are lots and lots of things that can roll out of that that are unique to people's situations, and that's where the love comes in when we're evangelizing and speaking to these young people. They have to know that you care and that you are interested in their specific situation. You can't go in as a one size fits all way of speaking to these young people. You have to care and, and show that you love them enough to actually give them the time of day to have a conversation. Right. Right. Well, yeah. And, and you're dealing with a whole large group out there that I'm referring to as generation Z. 
that you know they they really don't perceive right from wrong uh, and and don't believe there is a God or at least they're agnostic about well I don't know if there's one or not you know uh, the, the, as you were talking about earlier they don't have a grasp of any in fact, they would uh, uh, reject anybody that suggested there was some absolute truth about things. They certainly don't, because of that, they don't consider themselves sinners. They don't consider what they may be doing or thinking or anything else as, as some kind of sin that they can't relate to that. And therefore, there's really, uh, they don't sense guilt about, uh, you know, what they're doing. You know, I sometimes have had parents talk to me about well, their daughter has gone off is now living and sleeping with their boyfriend, and they're wringing their hands about that. And one of the things I tell them is, I said, "You need to understand your daughter doesn't understand that that's wrong. She doesn't understand that that's the problem. She 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 has no guilt about that. <laughs> so there's a different way of approaching young people when when you understand that those things exist." I agree completely. And, and all of those things, all of these uh, different aspects of of being lost and not knowing the difference between right and wrong and not concretely believing in God and believing not believing in absolute truth, which is the funniest statement, you know, that people always say the statement that there is no absolute truth is an absolute statement that you're saying it's absolutely true that there's no absolute truth. Right. That's right. So that's a, it's, it's already illogical. an oxymoron, but yeah. they don't. Yeah. And they don't have guilt over it. And all we're doing here is describing the state of every unconverted sinner, every unconverted non-believer who is lost is in this state. All we've done now is the reason why it looks so we don't come where that's been the majority. It's been, that's been the minority. That's been the fringes are the people who, you know, truth is up in the air. Truth is floating up in midair. And we don't know if God is real. We don't come from that. Like we've said before, this country has, was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And so this is the first time we're seeing this country where the majority is, an agnostic or atheistic worldview. And so that's, this is just the, this is just the, the, the down, this is downstream of being an unbeliever. And now we're seeing it so much and it's, it's scary. You know, the, um, you, you have to ask the question, you know, if we're focused on this emerging young generation and, uh, understanding, uh, where they are, uh, where does this conversation about God begin uh, when you have the opportunity to interact? You know, w- one of my favorite famous uh, evangelist theologians was Francis Schaeffer, and, and he frequently said and wrote, Christianity begins with the creation. Christianity begins with the creation. When you've got people who do not believe uh, that there is a sovereign God or that you're a part of any kind of uh, sovereign God's creation, uh, then it's going to be very hard to talk to them about Jesus. 
Right. And that's where we see there, there's different camps of uh, apologetics, you know, where you've got, you know, we're more traditional and then you've got your presuppositional apologetics where you're beginning with the, uh, with the assumption that God is real. But a lot of times that's not as effective with young people because they won't no. say, oh, okay, yeah, I'll just say God's real. No, they're going to, they need you to go all the way back to the most fundamental primal, if you will, is a good word, primal part of being a Christian. And that is believing in how any of this got here. And exactly. You know, there's they, tremendous work on this. And there's so many people, there's ministries where there's a guy that I listen to from a, a organization called wretched radio. And he goes to college campuses and just listening to the way that he, he begins speaking with them is the way is a masterclass in, a, in evangelism with young people. He'll ask them, what are you studying here at school? And they'll say, you know, microbiology. And they'll say, oh, OK, so you, you know what a cell is. And then you talk about how could a cell possibly have just been created on its own. And that's but that's how we have to be. We have to be engaged and creative. And it has to, I agree. It has to come from you have to start with creation. If they don't believe that, then they're not going to believe anything else. And, you know, these questions uh, don't just come from university educated college students. Uh, it's my experience. I think the experience of a lot of other people involved in evangelism that, you know, the guy out there in the auto shop, the, you know, nope. the plumber, other, you know, they have, many of these people have the same questions about, you know, what is the meaning of life? You know, why am I here? You know, uh, why, why does mathematics work? Uh, mm -hmm. If the universe had a beginning, then what's the, who created it? You know, we, we learned this cause and effect uh, uh, phenomena in, you know, early in high school. And mm -hmm. so if the universe had a beginning, well, who created and, and And why are the physical constraints in the whole universe so finely tuned that it allows the possibility of complex life forms? You know, why do humans have this innate moral sense and a question i get asked a lot i mean even this week in the grocery store what happens when we die is asked to me by a person who just lost their mother and uh, and so we have all of these uh, questions out there in the minds of young people even though they're agnostic they have these questions and you know one of the I guess encouraging things is that they do have these questions and that's yeah. where I think we have the opportunity to talk about the word of God because the word of God really answers all of these questions. You don't have to be some kind of scientific superstar. Unfortunately, a lot of these, these uh, young people don't understand uh, that a lot of the leading scientists in the world are consecrated believers in God and Jesus. And, and they're not told that story. They're not told it in high school <laughs> and certainly not on the universities. You know, kind of, you kind of wonder why are the universities so atheistic? Well, hmm. <laughs> well, the whole thing without going down, without going down that rabbit hole is that universities were founded as Christian schools, most of them. Uh, Harvard Harvard University still has it on their gate. 
there's a Latin phrase that speaks of that the school was a place of learning for the glory of God or something like that. And so they those have lost their moorings, but it's because the, the universities are seen as a center for producing uh, leaders of the world, producing cogs in the wheel of the world. And if we admit that the world system, as Ephesians speaks of, is in the power of the devil, lies under the power of the evil one, then we have to think, well, okay, so if <laughs> then who is who is the devil wanting to churn out to go run, operate this world? Well, unbelievers, right? And so public school is the same way. And I think that they have to be atheistic in order for them to have their view of progress, as you spoke about in the beginning, saying anything yeah. progressive, advancing, that has to be atheistic. That's why we they think of Christians not as intellectuals, even though, like you said, there are tons, thousands of Christian scientists, you know, that, 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 that they, they just assume that if you're an intellectual, then you have to be an atheist because rationally God can't be real. But it's just those, those are humorous things to me when they keep taking pictures with satellites millions and millions and millions of miles from Earth. And that that leads an unbeliever to think God can't be real. But that leads a believer who's saved to think, well, how great is our God that he created something this big just to point at his glory? Yeah, yeah. and in that specific field, there are lots of astrophysicists who see that as uh, absolute proof that there is a, a grand designer, God, who's responsible yeah. for the entire universe. You know, I, I think you were really hitting the nail on the head. I, you know, to for an intellectual person in the ivory tower of a university uh, to admit that there is a God who is in control is to give up power. It's, it's to give up the power of the, of the intellectuals. Uh, so that uh, they have to admit that there's somebody greater than they are who has a greater understanding of, of the universe. You know, some uh, I've heard some people describe Christianity as just a leap of faith, that, that, that that's what you have to do, just some blind leap of faith uh, to grasp Christianity. I reject that idea completely because I think the Word of God contains the answers for almost, not almost, I'll say for every question that you have. Every question that you have exists right there in God's Word. It's just a matter of uh, grasping God's Word and looking at at the entire uh, system of Christianity from the creation to the sending of God's son. I think it's a blind leap of faith that, to be an atheist. I There's agree. A, I agree. You know, Frank, uh, Frank Turek is a famous apologist and his, his biggest book is titled, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And it's right. It's the idea that you, you're saying that nothing existed and now everything existed and you don't know how that happened, but yet you have faith in the fact that it did happen. Right. You have faith. Every atheist lays down their head at night and goes to sleep with faith that they'll wake up the next day. Yeah, right. They have faith in the fact that the sun will come up. Right. Exactly. And you know, in the uh, there's a book entitled "The Gospel in the Marketplace of Ideas" that 
that uh, lays out some of the things that that you're talking about. You know, you know what are what are the idols of today? Well, we've just gone through a period of time where we see one of them, where we've got people who trust political parties or are are candidates to deliver a nation that can provide for them from uh, the womb to the tomb. Uh, you know, that becomes their idol. That's what they're counting on. <laughs> Trust in a candidate or a political party to take care of them. Well, that's absolutely. And that's because that we've, we, we also lack uh, personal responsibility and that leans into uh, our faith. Yeah. Like you were referring to earlier, the people that you know that, and I know people like that too, that, that genuinely did try. They attempted to raise their children in a biblical home and to teach them about the word of God and teach them to be Christians. But somewhere along the line, perhaps they fell short and short, uh, totally getting across the message that they must take responsibility for their faith. Because that's it. At the end of the day, that's what happened to me. That's what happens to so many is that when you go off to college as a Gen Z or, or millennial, when you go off to college, all of a sudden your mom and dad aren't there to be a Christian for you anymore. And then all right. of a sudden you start going, well, am I, re- was I really ever even a Christian? And so that's one of the, the fears is that we want to be cradled and carried by someone for our entire lives. We want to be told what to think and how yeah. to think, especially and then, with politics. Yeah. And then, you know, our society uh, lays this other idol out that some just, call money or financial security uh, where, you know, we seem to, as a society, envy the people with wealth. I uh, think that should be the goal of society. And along the way, we ignore the people who are really in need. And so uh, if the idol for many becomes just the accumulation of wealth, however they have to do it. And, and that's, that's what they worship. And that's, that's the same, that's something I was speaking to a, a, a brother in Christ yesterday about was the fact that we, that's, that's what we've been taught. Because at the turn of the century in the Industrial Revolution with men being taken out of the home to go to work, you know, that was the great mantra. You have to go, the American dream is for dad to work nine to five and bring home a paycheck so that you can have toys at Christmas and food on the table and everything that you want. And so that's how we were raised where church was put on the back burner. If you had to go to work, because the whole point is to, to make money. That's what makes life happy. And we've seen that as an example. And now with the accessibility of smartphones and social media, all you see on social media are the millionaire people who, you know, record a couple videos a week. And we think, Oh, well, that's, that's what I need to do because you know, I've been taught to make money that that's right. That's what a man should do. A man goes and makes money for his family. That's how he provides. But we miss the point that the man is to be prophet, priest, protector, and provider, right? We just think it's provider, but we're missing the prophet and the priest. Right. You know, and uh, in a work, it really becomes uh, one of the gods, the contemporary gods. And and then I'm surprised that when uh, at the number of people in our society that are involved in uh, uh, Eastern Eastern uh, 
philosophies, all kinds of Eastern meditation practices, all kinds of new age things that are available, especially in the large cities across America. And when you read about the percentage of people out there that are involved in these things, it's astonishing. And it's, and it's offered as, you know, uh, it's offered as, as sort of an, uh, an, an alternative, an alternative to Christianity. And, uh, and, and significant, I mean, I'm talking about millions of people across this country involved in these things. And, uh, and then, and then, uh, another thing that just seems to be kind of an idol for us is, is, uh, all of the automation that is occurring in society and the conveniences that it creates, uh, for us, it, it, it's, it, that kind of an idol just begins to make God, uh, more distant and less necessary. And that's, that's what, you know, that's one of the most, that's the most I've heard it said is that the most daunting thing about the, the spirit of the age, if that's the, the phrase that you want to use, biblically speaking, is that as we spoke about with Paul, Paul went into the temple, right, of Apollos and stood, stood in front of all these Greeks and the Greeks listened to him, listened to anything. Oh, from this to tell us about this. Okay, we'll listen. They were just interested in thought, but they were still deists. The problem today is that the secular ideologies say there is no God, there is no anything, there is no purpose. You have no purpose, and all we're doing is creeping forward towards some yeah, automated uh, robotic future where everything is just run by machines and everything is just that there, there, there can't be a God because look how advanced we are now with science and with yeah. technology. And, and that's the same thing. That's, that's the scary thing is that they're saying there is no God. You can be God. You can right. be your own God. Right. Right. Exactly. You know, uh, uh, another thing that's interesting to me are these TV shows, uh, about bachelors and bachelorettes and we watch all kinds of things there where people are dating each other you know frankly some of them almost seem like uh, soft porn to me uh when i flipped on those shows and uh you know it's almost an example of how our society places so much emphasis on uh, romance and relationships for security and significance in their lives uh, where where this whole scene of uh of dating and choosing partners and you know we live in a society where it's not uncommon for people to have multiple wives uh, during their lifetime where all of their security and significance seems to be uh, built into these romantic relationships it's it's a simple chasing a feeling, chasing a feeling that will give people purpose. They want to feel that they have achieved some sort of purpose. And unless we are truly communicating the gospel of the Bible, not a gospel that's been contorted to be digestible for people, but a, the gospel of the Bible that says there is no love, there is no there is no love, true love, apart from God. 
that the life of a Christian is a life of much joy and of much tribulation. And when you die, that's when all the good stuff happens, right? That's a hard that, you know, that people don't really like that sell, but if, unless we present the gospel correctly, people, you know, that, that, that cheesy saying looking for love in all the wrong places, that song, right? right? That's That's what people are doing. They're looking for that everywhere. Yeah. And, and, and you and I know, and the message we've got to get, to this younger generation especially, is that uh, you can have a very personal, uh, you can have a very personal relationship with Jesus that is filled with love. Uh, uh, Pastor Justin, it's been a delight to have you on again. We don't, we can't, uh, <laughs> we don't have time to, to delve into this topic any further, but I would like to uh, close this podcast, uh, really talking about what you and I have just talked about in these last few minutes by paraphrasing Francis Schaeffer in his book, The God Who Is There. And, uh, you know, he basically said God exists. Uh, you know, he said he is the personal infinite God, personal infinite God. And it's it's my opinion, and it was his. Our our generation longs for the reality of a personal God, but they don't seem to be able to find it. Uh, we're surrounded by people in a lost world, and if we don't emphasize the personal relationships uh, with Jesus, the world is not going to listen to us. It's hard to understand how the evangelical Bible believing uh, Christian can fail to be excited. I mean, if we are unexcited Christians, we should go back and try to figure out what's wrong with us. Uh, You know, we're surrounded by a generation who doesn't seem to be able to find anybody at home in the universe. Now, as a Christian, I know who I am, and I know the personal God who is there. I speak, and He hears. I'm not surrounded by mere mass and our only energy particles, you know, when you accept Jesus Christ as your savior, even though it will not be, you will not have a perfect life in this world, your moment by moment personal relationship with Jesus will gradually transform you and you will find deep meaning for your life. Pastor Justin, it's been a delight having you on today. I look forward to having you on again. I look forward to seeing you soon. God bless you. Thank you. God bless you, Dennis. Dennis.